Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. It was a night filled with tears and emotion. No, I'm not talking about the emotional dancing with the stars. No, I'm talking about everyone forced to watch Monday night football. And just how atrocious the product the league is putting out on the field is this year. Can I get a woof? It is bad bad to watch it is hard to watch honestly yet another primetime stinker yet another poorly executed poorly coached NFL game what is going on in the National Football League this year What is going on? Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company on this brisk. Can we say brisk? I don't want to say chilly, but let's say brisk Tuesday morning. I'm your host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. I'm joined by the flannel-wearing producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. James can't pull off that look. You do. Great job. We have a tremendous show lined up for you on this Tuesday edition. We got baseball talk. That's right. ALCS talk with Brett Chancy from the Locked On Astros podcast. He'll join us at straight up 7 o'clock. Following that at 7.15, Coach Dez, Louisiana Raging Cajuns head football coach, will join us with hashtag culture. Cajuns. Big home game against Arkansas State, a rivalry game. Can they make it two in a row? Kind of build some momentum here for the back half of the season. Then at 8 o'clock, the great one, the host of the McNeese Coaches Show and the man who covers the Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press, Jim Gazzola, will join us. And then at 8.30, we're going to preview New Orleans Pelicans basketball. That's right, the season tips this week. No better person to give us insight than our friend Ali Cassell from the Bird Rights. So we have four tremendous guests lined up for you today. We're going to talk Saints. We're going to talk Major League Baseball playoffs or the lack of a playoff game last night. We're going to talk LSU and so much more. Of course, we want to hear from you. The game hotline is always open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But we got to start off with the Monday night football game. Now look. Not every primetime game 
that they've put forth in recent years has been good. We pick on poor Thursday night football all the time about this. But I can't be the only one that has gone through the start of the season going, what's up with the product on the field? Because we're six weeks in, and we're seeing a lot of bad football in the NFL. The college product is far cleaner and far more exciting and far better. And usually, depending on how you roll, we may have a healthy debate about that. A lot of people prefer the professional game over the college game. I know that's hard to believe. Other parts of the country in particular prefer the pro game over the college game. But six weeks are now done in this season. And we've seen a lot of bad football in the NFL. Last night's game was no exception. 1916 victory in overtime between the Broncos and the Chargers. Los Angeles improves to four and two overall. The Russell Wilson led Denver Broncos fall to two and four. Ooh. And you look at the stat line here. You just take a moment and you're like, What's going on? Because if you look at the stats, they're going to pop out to you. The NFL, in a season where so many teams are struggling to tackle, by the way, the missed tackling situation that's going on with the Saints, it's just not a Saints thing. We're seeing sloppy tackling and missed tackles across the board. But you combine that with awfully executed offenses. Two of the best quarterbacks in the league faced off last night. One of them barely crossed 200 yards passing. The other one didn't. They combined Russell Wilson and Justin Herbert for one touchdown and one interception. What? So I know what you're thinking. If you were too busy doing something else last night, maybe watching one of two nights of Dancing with the Stars this week, you're thinking, RP3. Obviously, those numbers are low because they relied on the running game. They wanted to play old-school football, three yards in a cloud of dust. Well... Latavius Murray, who was picked up off the trash heap by the Broncos a few weeks ago from the Saints. He had 66 yards. He led the team in rushing. Austin Eckler, meanwhile, for the Chargers, the winning team, he had 38 yards. Say what? It's one thing to love defensive-minded football. I'm old school. I love defensive-minded football. If you were to ask me, 
RP3, build your all-time team. I'm having Deacon Jones, Lawrence Taylor, Reggie White, Ed Reed, Ronnie Lott, Jack Lambert. I'm having some of the meanest, baddest guys that ever played the game. And I'd build my team with defense. Make no bones about it. Love defensive football. This isn't good defensive football. This is okay defensive football and really, really bad offensive football. And I think the change here for the NFL of starting to move away from allowing old-school defensive football to remain in the game, which has been an initiative they've been doing for at least 10 years, has gotten to the point where you take away defensive football out of the game. You can't play like you used to. All those guys I mentioned on my all-time team, probably none of them could play now. They wouldn't be allowed to play the way they used to play to play now. So why in the world is the league that has prided itself and has made conscious efforts over and over again to protect offenses, to protect quarterbacks, to protect wide receivers, to allow the game to become a seven-on-seven type of game where the running back has become a non-factor in most teams' offensive game plans, where it's become nothing but quarterbacks and wide receivers and you can't touch either of them, after a decade of making the game into that, aiding it with how they call games, with the penalties that they call, taking away the aggressiveness of defenses in general, why are we, some, why are we seeing some of the worst offensive football I've seen in my lifetime? Because the defenses aren't allowed. We've talked, we've had discussions all season long about our defenses not even allowed to touch the quarterback now because if they do, it's roughing the passer. Terrible roughing the passer calls. So the game itself, the way it's officiated, the way the NFL wants it to be, lends itself to offenses. Advantage offenses. Yet, we're seeing terrible offensive football. Now, is Denver just bad? Is Russell Wilson, does he look washed? Yeah, kind of. We kept being told that the Broncos were just a quarterback away, and they went out and spent $200 million on a guy, and he looks awful. But this isn't... Just Denver looking bad. The Bucks with Tom Brady and Mike Evans and Leonard Fournette and Chris Godwin, they look bad. The Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers, they look bad. All these well-regarded, high-flying offenses look bad.
and I have a theory. I think the change in how the game is played and how it's been coached for the better part of 10 to 15 years is now having not a trickle-down effect, but a trickle-up effect. We don't have great offensive linemen anymore. I just don't see it. When I watch the NFL in particular so far this season, and I started noticing this a couple years, but I thought, well, maybe it's just a blip, but now it feels like it's a trend. I don't see great offensive line play. And you're seeing teams not make it a priority as well. The The philosophy has changed to the point where it's not really something that matters to anyone anymore. Look at the Cincinnati Bengals. They made the decision two years ago to draft Tamar Chase and not worry about the offensive line because they wanted just to have a high-flying offense and they trusted their guy to get the ball out quick enough that they didn't have to worry about investing into their offensive line. They rolled the dice, and it worked. They got all the way to the Super Bowl. And then this year, they tried to fix their offensive line, didn't they? Spent a lot of money in the offseason, drafted some guys, signed some guys. Their offensive line isn't any better. I think you're seeing a lack of development from high school to college for offensive linemen. And I think the game has changed to the point where offensive linemen are not being made a priority. This isn't 20 or 25 years ago where left tackle would have been a bigger priority than wide receiver. I just don't think you've seen that. I think it's shifted completely to a more seven-on-seven mentality where quarterback, wide receivers, that's all that matters. And I think that's trickled that's trickled down or trickled up, however you want to look at it, where it's all about the quarterback and the, and the wide receivers. And then everything else has become secondary in football. From seven-on-seven seven in high schools to how high school kids are being recruited to how colleges are developing guys, the emphasis is quarterback, wide receivers. Not at every school, but I see it a lot in college too, where we go – Where's the offensive line? But once again, the game has changed. The philosophy has changed. How offenses have developed has changed to the point now where you're starting to see this, and I see it in college, I see it in high school, and I definitely see it in the NFL, where you don't have the quality of offensive line play that you did 10 or 15 years ago. It's deteriorated to the point of, okay, this is what it is. Because once again, football has evolved into a game about nothing but offense. They've taken away the aggressiveness of defense. They've taken away the physicality of the game in a lot of ways. They protect the quarterback and wide receivers more now than ever. Unless you're a team doctor for the Miami Dolphins. But this is what it feels like because when I watched that game last night, I saw a lot of bad offensive line play. 
and then it hit me like a ton of bricks. I've seen a lot of bad offensive line play from a lot of teams this year. And I've seen it for a couple of years. And it's getting worse across the board. We'll see if this continues. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we were supposed to have a deciding game five in the American League Division Series. But then Mother Nature said, no, no, not so fast. We'll talk about that and how it impacts the Houston Astros who sit patiently waiting their opponent for the ALCS, which, by the way, begins tomorrow. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Tesh Project is hosting the Shake Your Trail Feather Paddle Parade and Party in the Park this Saturday, October the 22nd. A pair of live Cajun bands will escort paddlers as they float from Poche Bridge to Bro Bridge from 10 till until noon. After the paddle parade, there will be a free celebration at Park in Bro Bridge from 1130 to 2. Horse Trahan and the Austin Express will be playing, providing the live tunes. There will also be kids' activities, food and drinks, bird costume prizes, and a kayak raffle. Come paddle or join the fun with the Tesh Project on October 22nd in Bro Bridge. For more information, the website is teshproject.org. It's teshproject.org. Do you know I've never been in a kayak before? Never been in a kayak. Been in a canoe. I've gone down a river a couple times in a canoe. But never been in a kayak. Namely, because when I see the kayak, I go, well, that's not going to fit. I'm not going to fit in that. Plus, my legs are covered up. So if I tilt over, if I fall over in the kayak, I'm paranoid that I won't be able to get my legs out. Really, Ray? Oh, I've never been in a kayak either, says Hannah. Ah, oh, outstanding. Thank you, five names. That was great. I guess the flannel is not for being cold, as instead you're feeling miserable this morning. You had a very early 90s grunge feel to you over there. I had to get my chair up because I'm too short for this mic. That takes time, and I get stuck. But I've been in a kayak. I've been in a canoe. I have tip size. Capsized? Capsized, right? Yeah, I've capsized in both of them. You'd be fine. Still hit trees. Hit trees a lot. But my partner for my canoe put on so much suntan lotion that she couldn't even hold the oar. So she was why we granted trees. I have so many questions. Okay. So much suntan lotion that she couldn't hold her oar. Yeah. 
Okay. Does your friend understand how to properly put on lotion? That's my first question. Second question. Why are you running into so many trees? Because you couldn't steer correctly. But you're in the water. Yeah. You're not in a forest. So I'm not going to go on the ocean to go <laughs> canoeing and kayaking. I'm a little river. I mean, I get the I'm banks have trees. But so, yeah. so your friend, because of her slippery hands, because of too much lotion, you guys were unable to stay in the middle of the water? Yeah, it was really hard to do by myself. My sister had to get into the canoe with us. And her sit in the middle so that I could actually have somebody else to steer with me because I couldn't do it because it was hard to do it by myself. So I ran to all the embankments, and then I watched my pastor and his wife capsize <laughs> next to us. It's kind of funny. I feel like you should get better friends. <laughs> so, I still don't understand. So you, you put on the lotion, okay? Mm -hmm. So why didn't she just, you know, take her hands and rub them on her, her shorts or whatever like that to make her hands not so lotion-y? Because she kept doing it over and over again. Because <laughs> she didn't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, could just, I could just see the face that you would, be, would have been making when this was going on. It's the same face you give me from time to time. Or you give the boys in the afternoon. I can just see the Hannah face. Really? Oh, yeah. Really? I think everyone, like, memorized what her middle name was because I said her full name to her, like, six million times because she kept doing it. I'm like, stop. I can't steer this by myself all the way in the front of the canoe. I need assistance. And I had to keep screaming her entire name because she... Kept putting it on. I'm like, stop. Need you, to, need you to not right now. Tree number seven. Tree 25. <laughs> we didn't capsize, though. Never did that. Hey, there you go. There's a positive memory from that trip. Yep. <laughs> Instead, my pastor and his wife capsized like four times. Yeah, but a, at <laughs> least the pastor's wife <laughs> wasn't putting on lotion and him having to scream at her the whole time. No. They were just, I think they were... 75 at the time when they kept having trouble getting back in. It's fine. Oh, goodness. Yeah, good for you, five names. Thanks. We do as a trip. We do a bonding trip. Us as the game. We'll go canoeing and kayaking. Oh, like, like a, a team building? Yeah. We'd have to get... Could we get the boys out? Like, I, I, I would do that. But would the boys go? Could the boys show their manly enough solve and like go out canoeing and kayaking, or will they wear their faces and their hair to actually like get into the water? And their phones. Yeah, and their phones. <laughs> I got a whole little lockbox for that. Put your phone in a little lockbox. Looks onto your shorts. I think we. I, I think oh, this is a good idea. Five names. Thank you. There we go. See. Boom. See just. You begrudgingly becoming part of a conversation has led us down to a road of possibly a great team building trip for the for the folks at the game. Thank you. I I, I literally was getting stuck trying to put this chair up. 
Because James has a longer torso well, than I do, so I, just, I can't reach the I, mic. I was just going to just move on because I saw you over there on the struggle bus, and I was like, all right. <laughs> you just over there making the face. <sighs> you got to, like, because I don't want to, like, fully get up, so I got to, like, stand on the little foot thing in the bottom of the chair. Then I got to pull it up. Then I got to, like, sit, like stand up on the thing to put the it's, it's It is a struggle bus, it's but a struggle I got bus. it. Don't it's a struggle worry. bus. So the Yankees Guardians game. Yeah, it didn't get played <laughs> last night. No. Because of the weather. Not because of chilly conditions, but because of rain. I mean, they were very proactive and put the tarp out, what, an hour before the game even started. And they just kept waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And they finally make a decision to postpone the game, but they waited, what, three hours? Yeah, 9.45. Game will start at 7 o'clock. Now, if you're Major League Baseball, you're trying to do this because you want to get the game in. Even if it finishes super late and it doesn't finish until 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the morning, East Coast time, you still get the game in, which means you'll still have a day of separation Well, not a full day, but at least you get somewhat of a day of separation between the ending of one series and the beginning of the ALCS. Because, once again, the ALCS, with the Houston Astros patiently waiting, begins tomorrow. That hasn't changed, by the way. So that's why Major League Baseball had so much trepidation about postponing the game because they're like, hey, we need to get this game in. We really want to get this game in. But now they can't. Mother Nature would not allow them. So now the Astros get to wait another day to find out their opponent in the ALCS. Guardians-Yankees game five will be this afternoon. They made the announcement, as you said, right at 9.30 Eastern. The game will now be played today at 4.07 Eastern at Yankee Stadium. Ugh. And, and when these type of games happen, it, it's all all bets are off. Because you have no idea how the delay and the pressure now of you already had pressure because it was game five, the deciding game in a playoff series. Now, on top of it, you got everyone ramped up to play last night, all the anxiety, all the nerves that comes with that, and then they had to sit and wait. And just wait and wait. And then you finally delay the game. And now they have to, I guarantee you none of those guys slept well. I guarantee you none of them got a good night's rest. Now they're going to have to play afternoon baseball because that's the only way they could have done this. Because you have travel involved because the Astros are the one seed. So no matter who wins this afternoon in the Bronx, they have to travel to Houston. Which means there's a good possibility that this game ends, they get cleaned up, they go to the airport, they don't come, they don't fly into Houston until tomorrow morning. Yeah. If you think about it, if they if they start at four o'clock, the game may end maybe seven thirty or so. At seven thirty you're being optimistic, but let's say yeah. let's say seven let's just say let's, eight o'clock. Right. You get at eight, eight o'clock and then the Guardians, they are probably have already packed because they had to go on the road anyway to the Yankees and they had to go if they win, they gotta go to the Astros. The Yankees were at home. 
Tang and Seoul have to pack their stuff. So to take showers. So to get cleaned up, get onto their little charter flights, and then go over. They might not get to Houston until maybe two, three o'clock in the morning tomorrow, and go to sleep and get up and have a game at four. Yeah. Now ALCS <laughs> won't be until six thirty. Okay, game one, but still. There's going to be some jet lag here. It just is. Uh, New York did announce that after the washout, that all-star Nestor Cortez will start on three days rest on Tuesday. He had started game two and allowed two runs in five innings on 92 pitches as Cleveland won that game in extra innings. And Cleveland manager Terry Francona had said earlier on Monday that his starting pitcher would start game five even if it was pushed back a day. So, game five called, been pushed back. And that leads us to our poll question of the day. It's very simple. And it's an easy one. Does Guardians-Yankees game five being delayed give the Astros an advantage for the ALCS? I typically would say yes. But... We saw what extra time off did for the Dodgers Braves and somewhat to a certain extent the Yankees did not necessarily benefit them greatly did it in the divisional series. So I don't know. Now the fact that the Yankees are going to have to burn their game two starter here, they've made that decision. Because it's a winner take all, that's going to impact their rotation now for the ALCS if they win in advance. So, does Guardians Yankees game five being delayed give the Astros an advantage for the upcoming ALCS, which get, once again starts tomorrow, tomorrow night in Houston? 60% of you say yes, 10%, uh, 40% of you say no. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll update it throughout today's show. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we're going to sit here and talk about LSU. Coming off a big win in the swamp, now they have to gear up for an undefeated Ole Miss team. It went from being a two-point favorite to Ole Miss, the team ranked in the top ten that's undefeated, to all of a sudden being a one-point betting advantage for LSU, who's not ranked and has two losses. Funny how those books work. We'll talk about that and hear from Brian Kelly. That's next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a brand new fence, 
in-ground swimming pool, above-ground swimming pool. It really doesn't matter. little she shed for the wife. You run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor that you've hired can avoid those buried lines. It's simple, it's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service and to promote public safety. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, reminds you call 811 and know what's below before you dig. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Does the ALDS game between the Guardians and the Yankees being pushed to today, does that give any sort of advantage to the Houston Astros? Once again, the Astros are the number one seed. They will host games one and games two of the ALCS, and that will begin tomorrow, Wednesday. Yeah, already it's going to be here. We want to hear from you. Go vote and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Let's talk a little LSU football. Tigers get a huge win for them. Go down in the swamp. Come out with the win. It was an exciting game, an entertaining game. Defense made enough plays late. Jane Daniels put on a show, six touchdown performance. Now they turn their attention to top 10 ranked Ole Miss. Tigers get another chance to show the country that they can go toe-to-toe with one of the best teams in the country. They beat Mississippi State. They beat Auburn. They beat Florida. Those are all great things. None of them are ranked in the top 25. And the last time they faced a team ranked in the top 10, it was Tennessee, and they got humbled inside Death Valley. But as I told you before, the betting line has shifted and has constantly moved on this game Early on, it went from Ole Miss being a two-point road favorite then to LSU being a one-point home favorite. Some books have it even. So it's all over the place. You just don't know what you're going to get out of Ole Miss. You know they can run the football. Dart has tried to develop as a quarterback, but he's not quite there where everyone thought he was going to be. Does that play a role? Ole Miss's schedule, they've played Kentucky and they beat Kentucky. But when you look at the rest of their schedule, Not exactly a bunch of world beaters, right? Have they played in an environment as tough as Death Valley yet? No, and it's going to be homecoming for the Tigers. Coach Kelly touched on a slew of different topics yesterday for his weekly press conference. And it started with his quarterback and his star wide receiver, Jane Daniels, six touchdowns total in the win against Florida. He's really started to develop as the season has progressed. Kayshawn Butte had a good game. He led the Tigers in receiving. Even though he didn't score a touchdown, he still led the team in receiving. And it starts to seemingly that those two in particular are starting to get on the same page, which is a good thing for the Tigers. Kelly talked about the relationship between star quarterback and star wide receiver. We've been at this, you know, this had been the seventh game, and we had been confronted with those situations and haven't made them. But I don't think that there was any hesitation that we wouldn't go back to it because those two have been working hard in practice and trying to build that, you know, that relationship where, you know, 
we find you. And, and if you remember in that situation, he kind of found some green grass. And um, he was going to be the primary on that play. And um, Jaden got flushed out of the pocket. But he kept his eyes looking for him. And it was really the first time when those two found each other, if you will, in terms of you know getting the ball. And, and then that drive, quite frankly, we had a lot of mistakes. Um, we made a lot of mistakes. That drive ended up in the end zone because of those two guys. They made big plays, and that's what sometimes you need is your big-time players have to step up. And I think that was the first time this year that our best players stepped up to that level and, and made plays. So if that chemistry is starting to develop here for the back half of the season, that could change how good this offense is. And once again, it's the first year of Brian Kelly. It's the first year of Jane Daniels at LSU. There's going to be growing pains. We know that. Now, for the Tigers, it sure did seem like they learned a lot in between the Tennessee game and the Georgia game, being humbled, suffering one of the worst home losses in modern LSU history against the then number eight ranked volunteers. They sure did look like they learned a lot from that defeat, and they implemented a far better game plan and far better execution against Florida, and Kelly elaborated on that. Well, you know, each week this team is, is, a, is, is learning so much and, and, and growing. Unfortunately, they learned from the Tennessee loss, and, and nobody really wants to be learning lessons after a loss, but they learned a lot about – intentionality and purpose in terms of their preparation. And, and we saw that during the week, uh, and it carried over to the way they played on the road. I think then you win on the road in the fashion that they did. You build more confidence in your football team. So I think two weeks later, it's um, – I don't want to say a different team, but it's a team that has confidence. It's a team that knows that if they don't play clean, if they don't have an attention to detail, they'll have – Similar results that they did against Tennessee. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is that um, it's not a different team, but it's a team that has grown from the last couple of weeks. And and if they take that knowledge into their preparation this week and into the game and their performance, um, then, then we should have one uh, really fine football team. We'll listen more of Brian Kelly. Coming up here on RP3 and Company right now, though, we got to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll wrap up hour number one. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Hey, the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues that's because once you become a member of our rewards club you'll have the opportunity to win excellent prizes like a 150 dollars gift certificate to mr lester steakhouse at cypress bayou or a 50 dollars gift certificate to half show oyster house or a 25 dollars gift certificate to mabel's kitchen those are all tremendous places you can take your lady out and have a great time at all of them but you can only score those great prizes by becoming a member of the Games Clubhouse. Once again, go sign up today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. That way we can help you 
with your date night blues. Poll question of the day. ALDS was delayed because of weather. They finally made the decision at 9 o'clock last night to push the game until this afternoon. 4 o'clock Eastern time there in the Bronx. Game 5 of the Guardians-Yankees ALDS. Now the winner gets to get right on a plane and go to Houston to take on the Astros starting on Wednesday. So we asked you, does this delay in ALDS Game 5 give the Astros any type of advantage? 68% of you say yes, 32% say no. Let's get to some comments. Salty Steve says, most teams that had rest this playoff season are fishing right now. Even the Strohs who survived looked average against the fighting Teal. Yankees look average against Guardians. Too much rest is not good for anybody. JPK, the OD, says, nope. As much as I hate to say it, after they dispatched my Mariners, the Strohs are in line. Line them up in mow them down mode now. And he shared a gif of, Goldberg, who's next? Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter, and we will share them throughout today's show. Our number one has come to a conclusion, but not to worry. We got great stuff on tap for our number two. We'll keep the baseball conversation going. Does Brett Chancy of the Locked On Astros think the game being pushed back a day gives the Astros any type of advantage we'll talk to him about that and more that's coming up next right here on the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros oh yeah oh yeah everything 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 gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Uh, good morning. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one joined inside the studios by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. She's wearing flannel today, not because it's cold, but because she's in mourning for the Mariners after fighting hard but losing a three-game series. She decided to wear the legendary clothing of the people of Seattle, the flannel. No? No? Great. Thank you. I'm, I'm just cold. It takes like me to turn my mic up. Hold on. You, you. I was on the you struggle so bus antsy. yesterday. You, I was on the struggle bus yesterday. You are on the struggle bus today. I am doing peachy keen. <laughs> I have my late grandfather's flannel on because I am cold. Uh-huh. And this is warm. That's all. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. So it's just a coincidence that you're wearing the type of clothing that is most identified with Seattle just so happens to be that. Yes. Okay. Just a coincidence. It's (laughs) It's just a coincidence. I mean, you could have wore a sweater. You could have wore, you know, a jacket, long sleeve, quarter zip. on and off a lot easier than a quarter zip or of anything else. 
I like, like, put it down if I get hot. I just put it down like I'm doing now. Yeah, I got you. Huh. You, you showed me. You're welcome. You showed me. Such a such a good burn. Such a good burn. I'm going back to eat Archie's puffs. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Not to worry. Five names won't talk to me, but you know what? Our first guest will. He's the co-host of the Locked On Astros podcast. You can also read his work here at 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. Brett Chancy joins us now. Brett, good morning to you, bud. How are you? Good morning. It feels like, see, I mean, it feels like Houston weather this morning. See us rise again. And let me just tell you, it is, it is, it is playoff time in Houston, and we cannot wait to find out what opponent we will face in the ALCS because they'll be on a red eye at 2 a.m. tomorrow, the same day we have game one. Let's talk a little bit about that because that's our poll question of the day, bro. We're asking folks, does this give an advantage to the Strohs having game five of the ALDS push back a day? I think it does because they're not going to be flying in until late and there's going to be a little jet lag involved. How much of an advantage do you think this gives the Strohs? I think it maybe gives them an energy advantage. You know, I, I don't think that either team will be less prepared but golly, that's got to be tiring, traveling into a new time zone. They've done it before. But if they would have locked things up last night and finished things off last night, it definitely would have helped the other team. But with them coming in, with the Astros having the rest, I really think that only going three games against Seattle helped their cause tremendously. Because this team's bullpen was absolutely dominant in those three games versus Seattle. Now, you say they only played three games, but they really played four because True. they needed 18 innings on Saturday to beat the Mariners in Seattle. So they essentially played two games in one day. So it's not as if they got, you know, got away scot free, so to speak. Um, Let's go to that series because we talked about the Mariners giving the Astros fits, and they did, Brett. You could argue 30 of the innings that were played between the two teams, the Mariners were the better team. Just the Astros came up with the clutch hits when they desperately needed them, and that was the difference in this series. No, yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. But what, what I – go to when I hear everyone talking about the series and how, you know, the Astros only had the lead in like six innings overall. At the end of the day, who like whose portion of their team was actually more clutch? And it was the Astros bullpen, only giving up one run in three games or you know, need I say four games because what Dusty Baker did, his management of the bullpen was elite, was masterful. It was a master class in deploying the bullpen. I didn't know how they were going to use Luis Garcia, and he came in and shocked the world. I don't know that he shocked the world, but the five innings he gave was almost like a reverse start in that last game where they had to have him. And the reason why I mention that is because had there been a game four, the Astros still would have had plenty of ammunition to go at the Mariners in game four. I believe that guys like Altuve 
figure things out. Yuli Guriel had his best ALDS in three years. Alex Bregman is still the man. Jordan Alvarez was very impactful. And so at the end of the day, it looks like the Astros will be ready to retool and reamp up in the ALCS. And I think you'll see a different offensive team come ALCS than you did the ALDS. But give credit to the Mariners pitchers. They pitched their tails off. They literally could have won every single those game, every single one of those games. The Astros were just able to get put them in checkmate because their pitching is elite. They win a series where Justin Verlander did not pitch well and got run early, and Jose Altuve did not record a single hit at all. So two of the faces of the franchise, two of your veteran guys, two of your captains, if you will, were terrible. And yet this team still found a way to win. Why is that? More than just the bullpen. Because they're a complete team. They don't panic. They The postseason experience is paying off. Nobody has been battle-tested more than this team. No team has been more scrutinized than this team, and no team has been studied more and analyzed more from opposing teams and pitchers and game plans than the Houston Astros. One of the disadvantages, I would say, of all the experience is teams have a record and a history of how you do and don't do in certain situations. And I would say that the Mariners had a pretty good pitching plan coming into it. And that's why the 2022 team is different from the 2021 team. Because last year, this team was not coming back. Down 7-2, to I was at that game. You're not coming back from that. The second game, you're not coming back. The third game, you're probably not winning that extra inning game. The Astros of 2021 might have actually lost all three of these games. But this is a different team. And, you know, I talked about it on the show. Jose Altuve saw 25 pitches in game three, 17 of them outside of the zone, swung at every single one of them. The only pitches he got in the zone, he hit two of them between the foul lines. They were both out. He had five swings and misses. I believe Altuve will be ready and prepared come ALCS and watch film because he did not look like himself. And Verlander spoke after the series that he's still working on things mechanically after the calf injury. And I think this rest will help him. I think you'll see a way different Justin Verlander in ALCS Game 1 because I assume that's who Dusty is going to start. We're talking with Brett Chancy of the Locked On Astros podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. So you're not worried about Altuve. You, you mentioned Yuli Gurriel playing so well, uh, finally finding himself in the playoff series. Bregman is still the man. You also mentioned in the article on 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com that you believe that this is the best playoff team the Astros have had. Explain that. Well, let's just look at the three-game series. They had the Stars do what they needed to do at the time they did them, and the bullpen didn't give up anything. You lost Phil Maton, who was nails last year. You don't have Grayman. You don't have the. You have you have a completely different bullpen in a rookie Hunter Brown going two innings, only allowing one hit. You have Christian Javier, who you've underutilized, will probably be game four, and 
you have Vasquez off the bench. You have Diaz off the bench. She's not injured. And, I mean, Dubon came in for a defensive replacement. I don't think Jake Myers is on this ALCS roster. But this team doesn't know how to quit. They grind and they don't panic. And I just think this lineup, when it's fully healthy, and this rotation, because we have four healthy aces to start games one through four, Verlander, McCullers, Valdez, and Javier. We didn't have that last year. And we have had great pitching staffs, but the starters combined with the middle guys and the back-end guys, I and with this lineup top to bottom, I don't – I think – they are a very, very close, if not the top, playoff team that we've seen in the last five years. Ooh, that's 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 a bold claim, brother. I mean, I just that's a that's a bold claim. It, it, it is. I, I think they're immensely talented. I think you have to have them as the favorite to get to the World Series. But ooh, the the best they have in the, in the last five years, you say. Yeah, I you know, and and I know people will probably give me some smoke for that. People, I'm sure, will have their own counterpoints, but I don't see a Will Smith on this. I mean, I mean, not Will Smith. I don't see a a Will Harris on this team giving up a tank to lose a World Series. I I, I don't see starters coming out of out of the bullpen and not doing their job. I mean, we have Luis Garcia. We haven't even used Jose Arquiti, the only pitcher on the staff that has three World Series wins. I mean, this team, for all intents and purposes, was ready to throw Verlander in game four. And I just think that you have a team that's hungry. I think them missing out on winning the World Series since 2017 makes this team even more dangerous. And that's why I say that. Now, you could probably go through and look at the Oak. The you know on base percentage WRC plus and you could probably statistically say that maybe there was a better lineup, but with the way this team plays, with the way that they're motivated, with the way that they're built, I just think that this team could go toe to toe with any of their past teams and probably find a way to win. All right, let's wrap it up with this: Who would you rather face, the Yankees or the Guardians? You know, I've been saying that the Astros matchup against the Yankees better. I think the Guardians pitchers and their lineup is I think overall their lineup is less of a threat than the Yankees. Jordan Alvarez hits 313 versus the Yankees versus 182 versus the Guardians. So that almost alone makes me want to say bring on the Yankees again. Let's show them who's boss. I think the Yankees get it done. And I think we match up well against them. Um, I'm just nervous about Cleveland's pitching. I think their pitchers are very, very good at home, and they intimidate me more because they have a lot more. They have a lot less to lose, and the team that has a lot less to lose is, I think, even more dangerous in the playoffs. I say, bring on the Yankees. Let's do this ALCS rematch once again, and continue to show that the A in American League stands for Astros. And Cleveland also has the better skipper, which it matters. They, that matters. That is an X factor. Yes, sir. That is that is a huge X factor. And if Boone mismanages this game five, <laughs> I will be shocked if he's still the skipper next season. But you're right. That is their X factor. And, you know, I said earlier on the show, 
and I'll leave you with this. I think the Astros X factor is Dusty Baker. I, I look, I think the veteran guy, the lifelong baseball guy who's never been able to win a World Series, I think this team would love to give him one. Not only do they want to win one for themselves, don't get me wrong, they do, but I think they all respect the heck out of Dusty Baker, and they would love nothing more than to give him his World Series. I agree 100%. I think it's going to be a fun ride, and no matter who we play, they're going to give us their best, but the Astros will counter with their best, and I like our chances. Brother, appreciate your time. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next Tuesday, bud. Yes, sir. Y'all have a good one, and go Strohs. Astros await the winner of Guardians-Yankees. Once again, Game 5 of the ALDS has been pushed to later today. Winner take all. And then that winner gets to get on a plane and come to Houston and take the red eye <laughs> and take on the Astros starting tomorrow in the ALCS. Of course, you can listen to game one of the ALCS right here on the game tomorrow night. First pitch is set for 637. We got to take a time out when we return. Coach Dez, the man in charge of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, will join us. That's next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Good. 180! What's up? Raging Cajuns head football coach Michael Desimo joins RP3 and company to talk all things Vermillion and White. It's time for Hashtag UL Culture with Coach Dez. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm good, Raymond. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing good, bud. I'm doing good. So let's go back. It's It's been uh, a little bit more than a week since we last talked. And since then, you guys went on the road to one of the toughest places to play, Huntington, West Virginia, home of the Marshall Thundering Herd. Great defense, made plays on special teams, made plays in the offense, a complete team victory on the road in conference play. How good did it feel to go on the road and get a hard-fought win like that? It was it was good, you know. I mean, it, it was really it was really what we needed for sure. Uh, and you know, after after the game, you you feel like we're getting closer to to the team that we want to be and to playing the way that we want to play. And uh, you know, that was certainly the best I think that we've played for four quarters as as a, as a team yet so far this year. So uh, for us, you know, that's something that we need to take and we need to build off that momentum for sure. With having the bye week like you did because it was a Wednesday game, did that extra time off, did that kind of serve as, I don't know, an opportunity to kind of reset things, almost kind of like have a little mini camp, so to speak, to tweak things, to work on things that maybe you typically wouldn't have the time to do on a normal game week? You know, really, the, the way that it kind of works, you got to kind of balance out I think that's one of the hardest things whenever ever you have a, a mini bye week like that because you don't have the full 14 days. You've got to kind of figure out and you got to kind of manage how much time do you want to give them off versus how much time do you need to go back to really grinding out the things that, you know, that are, that you need to urgently fix, you know. And uh, so for us, we had one kind of fall camp type practice. Um, 
And then what we did was basically we gave them a little bit more. We gave them an extra day off than what we used to do um, physically. So we kind of spread out the film review and the, I say day off, it was day off of practice. I mean, they lifted and ran and those things, you know, kind of keep them active and keep them moving, but try to take the banging off a little bit. Uh, we were pretty, we were a little banged up after the South Isle game. So kind of, I felt like it would help a little bit. Um, so we did that. Then we had one fall camp type practice with we have about 30 minutes of individual time in there to go back to the things that every position group you know has different things that they need to work on that are showing up that is you know trying to get fixed uh, a lot of good on good reps it had nothing to do with preparing for Marshall it was you know let's run our base stuff against our defense and vice versa and let's go compete and let's go try to get better um, and then what we did was we actually built in an extra day for Marshall, um, an extra day of game planning, and then an extra day of uh, practice, so, you know, just to give us a little bit more time to get ready for them. And, and certainly you don't want to have a bye week and then not use it a little bit to get ready for the next opponent. So that was kind of the way we did it. Talk about Ben Woolridge. Uh, you've had a ton of faith in him, as you had in both of your quarterbacks that you played all season, Coach. And he gets the opportunity to start because Chandler is still dealing with that injury. What do you make of what you saw from Ben on the road at Marshall? Man, I mean, I couldn't have been more proud of him. Uh, you know, he, he goes out there every week and he prepares his tail off. And I had no, I had no issues with him going out there and starting. I knew he'd go out there and play well. And I'm, I'm I'm about positive that his teammates felt the same way. You know, they know the way he works. They know the work he's put into it. And really, they know he's a good player. So, uh, I'm extremely proud of him. You know, he was just really gutsy in that game. Um, you know, he took some big hits and just kept on playing. You know, he kind of kind of willed us through some stuff there. And on offense, I think, you know, he was really a spark for us in that second half to get us going. And uh, I just... You know, it's it's hard it's hard to say, Raymond. Honestly, like you just you're so proud of kids because today, especially, all you hear about is is all the kids that you know they don't get their way and they leave and they transfer and they do this and they you know they they quitting the team you know and they're going to sit out the rest of the year till next year. And I mean, Ben just came in the building every day, same way he always is, worked every day, and uh, you know for him to get an opportunity. Um, is, is great, but for him to go cash in on it like he did and really be a huge part of that win was was awesome. As someone who played the position like you did and you played it at such a high level, you understand what goes into playing that position at that level. And a lot of it has to do with prep work and your mental toughness and how you stay focused, even if you're not going to be starting a game. You have to prepare like you are. Is that something that you also notice leading up to the game from Ben that you're like, this guy got it, he, he he's going to be just fine? Is that also what kind of just reinforced your own confidence in him because you got to see what we don't see, kind of behind-the-scenes preparation work? He does it every week, you know. Uh, whether whether he was a starter or it was uh, – whether he was a starter or it was Chandler starting, it, it didn't matter. He prepared that way every week, so – um, you know, to me, and that's someone asked me, you know, what does he need to do differently to get ready to start the game, you know, before the Marshall game? They'll ask us like nothing, you know, and that's the thing about him is that he prepares every week like he's a starter. Uh, I've been, look, I've been a backup quarterback. I've been everything kind of in between, right? You know, from scouting.
scout team to the starter. And, uh, you know, that's one of the hardest things to do is to prepare every week like you're going to start knowing that, I mean, you may not ever get an opportunity to do it. But, uh, you know, that position is one of those ones that when your number's called, your team needs you. And there's if you're not ready, you know, um, it's it's going to be tragic and it's going to be a disaster for the team. And, and I've talked to the guys kind of, you know, right after fall camp, I guess, kind of when you start to set the roster and reality starts to set in, right? Like you go into fall camp and everybody's getting reps. Everybody, you know, you don't really know where you are because we mix up the deck and we kind of just guys with the ones and the twos and move them around. After fall camp, you know, I talked to them about preparation and, and, and opportunities. And, you know, there's a quote that I use that I use all the time. You know, when the opportunity arises, it's too late to prepare. And, you know, Ben's a great example. He just he didn't just wait until, you know, something happened where he had an opportunity to be the starter. He prepared, and when the opportunity came, he was ready. I want to talk about someone else who rose to the occasion, and that is Kenneth Almaderas because – we know what he's capable of, Coach. We've seen it in years past. He had a rough start to this season. But he, man, when you needed him, he was money for you guys. How great was it to see him have that type of game? You know, it's just certainly we needed it, and it was exciting for all of us. But, you know, you just – you're so happy for, for the kids that, that that happens to, you know, that are good kids that work hard and – yeah, I mean, Kenny, like you said, I mean, he's been through it a little bit. I mean, if you'd asked me before the season, there was no doubt in my mind Kenny Almendaris was going to be our starting kicker and he was going to do a great job. Um, and you get in the fall camp and you kind of saw, you know, kind of saw him struggle a little bit through it. And, and it was really, it was, it was surprising to me. And, and really, you know, I mean, not that you ever want someone to do better than the other, but I was disappointed because I know how hard he's worked and how hard he's, how long he's been here and the things that he's done to try to uh, get himself in position. And uh, you know, kind of, I was disappointed for him, you know. But certainly, you do what you got to do for the team. And he's another one that just showed up every day, kept working. You know, some things swung back in his way, uh, back in his favor. And you know, against South Alabama, I really felt like the the fifty yard field goal he hit against South could have been a springboard for him, you know, after that game. And, and sure enough, man, he came out against Marshall, and those points were huge. I mean, there's just – there's nothing more demoralizing whenever you drive the ball down the field, you get down in the red zone. And, and certainly, like, it's already bad enough, right? You won't score a touchdown. Um, but then you run the field goal unit out there, and you don't get anything. Whenever he came out there, uh, you know, those, for those two shorter field goals, and, I mean, drills them, it was like, all right, you know, here we go. And then the 52-yarder, the I mean – I don't think you ever count on someone making those, you know, those being a hundred percent, but I certainly knew he had the leg and, um, and he went out there and banged it through the uprights and our team, you know, you could have, I, I don't know if they showed the sideline. My team was where well, they were jacked up whenever he hit that 52 yarder. So it was a, it, it was a pretty cool deal. We'll wrap it up with this coach. You get the win to get back on track. And now you welcome in Arkansas state to Cajun field this weekend. It's, it's uh, always been an interesting rivalry to me. It's been some of the more bizarre games have occurred in this series. Uh, yep. Just talk a little bit about Butch Jones, the job that he's doing up in Jonesboro, and, and what challenges the Red Wolves present your Cajuns come Saturday. Well, first of all, Butch Jones is a good football coach. You know, I mean, that's, you know, he's had success. You know, another Tennessee thing, you know, he had success at Tennessee too, you know, and, uh, 
then he goes over with Coach Saban, and, and I'm certainly I'm I'm sure that had a huge effect on him and impact on him. But uh, he's uh, he's been actually really he's been really good to me throughout the you know the off season. Just kind of we got to meet a few times. Just all the coaches, really good dude. Um, and and not surprised that his team's getting better. You know, uh, if you look at their record right now, you know, and that's what people. I mean, that's how you judge teams, and I get it. Um, but I, I really don't think their record's kind of indicative of where they are. You know, if you look at, you know, so they're they're two and five right now. They're five losses. You know, one of them's to Ohio State, which obviously that that's a tough task for anybody. Um, and then the other four losses, and three of those four losses, they were winning into the fourth quarter. Um, some of them well into the fourth quarter, uh, they were winning the game. So they've uh, they've run out of gas a couple times. And the other one against James Madison was a one possession game in the fourth quarter that James Madison scored their last two drives to kind of blow it open a little bit. So um, you know they're they're not going to fool us coming in here thinking that that we can go out there and just sleepwalk. I mean our team right now we need to continue to play well. Um, you know it's not just about trying out there to squeak out a win. We need to continue to play well. Um, because these this wins are hard to come by, and certainly an in division opponent, um, and then arrive on top of that in, in Arkansas State. That's getting better, and you can tell that they're getting close. Um, I really believe that as you watch their game from last year to this year, they're, they're getting close. And um, you know we're we're going to have to go out there and play well because I think offensively they got good skill. They've got a quarterback who can run and throw. Um, you know on defense they they're. They're active in the secondary. Their corners, they press, they 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 contest everything. They have safeties that run the alley and uh and really fast to fill when they play that quarters coverage on defense. The same thing with their star linebacker, and uh, I, I think they got a, a really really good defensive end, um, and the the Bennett kid number five. I, I, he is to me he's one he's as good of an he's as good of an end as we have in our league. You know he's not not huge. He's six two, you know two forty something like that, but he is twitchy. Fast, he can rush the passer. He does a good job against the run. I mean, he's he's a really good player in our league. So, um, you know, and they've always got team speed, always. So, those things, uh, you know, th- those things are always challenges. But uh, especially, you know, for us with those guys, we need to continue. We have to build off the momentum um, that truly I felt like coming out of South Alabama, we were playing better, even though we didn't get the result we wanted. Um, and then after Marshall, you know, you start to have some things that are clicking a little bit better. We got to continue to build off of that um, and, and go out there Saturday back at home against Arkansas State um, and, and really go put it together and, and take another step forward for our team. Coach, congratulations on the win. Best of luck come Saturday. Thank you for making the time, as always, brother. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Raymond. Y'all have a good one. That's Coach Dez. Impressive win on the road against Marshall. They're going to look to make it two straight, beat Arkansas State come Saturday. Once again, their whole season could change. The Sun Belt's wide open. If you didn't pay attention to the scores over the weekend, Coastal Carolina no longer undefeated. (laughs) Right? The Sun Belt is kind of wacky this year with all the new teams in it. Cajuns have a chance to get back on track. They'll look to do so again on Saturday. We got to take a timeout. Back-to-back interviews, great stuff there. Come back, we'll hear from the New Orleans Saints. Dennis Allen and company talked to the media yesterday. We'll share that with you. That's coming up 
right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. RP3 is known for being a well-tempered and thoughtful sports journalist. The incompetence, the absolute abundance of arrogance from Rob Manford makes me want to punch him in his throat. Okay, well, we all have our bad days. I'm not kidding. If he was right here in the studio, I would walk up to him and throw him a punch. Well, let's all hope he took his meds today. Back to hopefully a calm and collected RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest, Southwest Louisiana's, Louisiana's sports station. station. Lafayette Marble and Granite offers the largest selection of granite, quartz, and marble in Acadiana, and they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you've heard me tell you before, Chris and his team over at LMG, they provide more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, your bathrooms, and your man caves. LMG also now has an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their new grout-free shower line. That's right. No muss, no fuss, and no odor from the grout years down the road. You don't have to worry about that. Talk about convenience. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com, today to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their soon-to-be-renovated showroom located on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford, Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Let's check in on the old poll question of the day. We asked you, does the ALDS between the Guardians and Yankees being pushed to today? Game 5, the deciding Game 5 will be today. While the ALCS Game 1 still is on for tomorrow night in Houston. Does delaying the ALDS by a day... Does that give the Astros some sort of advantage? Do you believe that helps them? That's our poll question of the day. Yes or no, straightforward, no must, no fuss type of poll question today. 71% of you say yes. Only 29% say no. Joe Cola says yes, but the Astros don't need the advantage anyway. This is from a Yankees fan. Doug on Twitter says, they could spend the day in batting practice, especially Altuve. Not wrong. Altuve was not good. My man went over a bazillion in the ALDS against the Mariners. Cat could not buy a hit. Some extra time in the old cage is probably not a bad thing for Altuve, for Jose Altuve. Ralph has a request. Ralph Bergeron. Friend of the show, listener, one of our guys. He has put in a request five names, and I need to confer with you to see if we can allow that to actually happen. Are you ready? Ralph has requested at RP3 Sports, please let me finish my breakfast before hearing Dennis Allen accept mediocrity. You know what we're going to do for you, Ralph? If the producer extraordinaire signs off on it, of course. We'll push the Saints conversation and hearing from Dennis Allen about being mediocre to next hour. I can allow that. Boom. It's been allowed. 815. 
Ralph, you can enjoy your breakfast now, my friend, because we're going to talk to a coach who won his game over the weekend. We're going to hear more from Brian Kelly, the LSU head football coach. We heard from him earlier talk about, you know, how good it is, the chemistry between Daniels and Butte, that that's developing, and the lessons they learned after being humbled by Tennessee going into the Florida game. Now... They gear up for Ole Miss. Uh, a different Ole Miss type of team, right? Lane Kiffin is an offensive genius. Guy knows his stuff, knows quarterbacks. This year, he's developing a quarterback, and while he's developing him, they've turned into one of the best running football teams in the country. Like, Ole Miss wins football games this year because they run the football and wait for it. I can't believe I'm actually saying this. Ole Miss has figured out how to play defense. What? Ole Miss is running the football and playing defense? What decade is this? But Lane has made the adjustment to what the personnel he has on the roster is. And Brian Kelly talked about this year's Ole Miss team and what stands out to him about the Rebels who come to Death Valley on Saturday afternoon kickoff to Move on to uh, Ole Miss. Obviously, another top 10 team coming into the stadium. And uh, we're excited about the challenge. It's it's an outstanding football team, well coached. Uh, Lane does a great job with, um, obviously, the offense. But overall, uh, a very confident football team. Been playing well, uh, undefeated. It's an offense that is, um, you know, systematic in its play calling, what they're trying to do. The pieces fall together quite nicely uh, and very talented. You know, the quarterback, you know, is is a two-double-threat quarterback. Um, Dart can throw it. He can run. He's complemented with two outstanding backs, big receivers, uh, and and a very balanced attack. They can run it equally as well as they throw it. And um, so I have a lot of respect for what they do defensively. They're in, you know, a a three-down defense. You know, we don't see a ton of what they do. Uh, They do what they do well. And, uh, you know, I think they they get pressures. Uh, I think they're second uh, in the SEC in sacks. So they do get pressure. They can run the football really well. And they get pressure on defense. That's going to keep you in a lot of games. Now, as I said before, you look at Ole Miss's schedule, their best win is Kentucky. Yeah. They haven't had to face Alabama yet. They haven't had to face Mississippi State. The better teams on their schedule, they haven't had to go toe-to-toe with yet. So this is going to be a test for Ole Miss because, A, it's not your typical Lane Kiffin team. The quarterback is a little inconsistent. I think his touchdown-to-interception ratio is 11-7. to So he's not quite where typical Ole Miss quarterbacks are for Lane Kiffin, in particular Matt Corral. And this game is going to be on the road for the Rebels in Death Valley against an LSU team that found their swag, so to speak, in the swamp. It's going to be a battle. Different styles here. And Kiffin, obviously, is a guy that has been around the block a long time. Head coach for the Raiders. He was like the youngest head coach in the NFL. Maybe the youngest head coach ever in NFL. That didn't work out. 
He was at Tennessee for a year, left them hanging, uh, you know, left them high and dry. They still hate him there. Went to USC, got fired on the tarmac at the airport, and then was able to kind of rehab his career by becoming an assistant for Nick Saban and helping Alabama get a modern offense. Won national championships, left, went to Florida Atlantic, made them a really good group of five team before taking the Ole Miss job, and he's done wonders there with the Rebels. And Kelly shared his thoughts about the lane train and what he brings to the table. He's a creative coach offensively, and they always have been cutting edge in terms of what they do. Yeah, and, and he's uh, he's a guy that, that gets his team playing hard. I mean, they play hard. Offensively, there's always an answer to what you do in-game as well. But I think more importantly, uh, they scout you out. I mean, you better know your, your own self-scouting and where your tendencies are uh, because he's going to, to really dial in on – if there's anything that you do, if you do anything defensively, he is going to analyze that uh, and have an answer for it. So you got to be very good at, at your self-scout. I think this is going to be a heck of a ball game. I really do. I think both games that are on tap, the one in Baton Rouge and the one here in Lafayette this weekend, are going to be really good ball games. I think Arkansas State is going to come and be fired up to play against the Cajuns. It's going to be at home for UL and over in Baton Rouge across the basin. It's an old rivalry game. Both are regional rivalries. Ole Miss, LSU, UL, Arkansas State should be a heck of a weekend. I'm personally going to be at the UL, Arkansas State game. Hannah will be there, but she'll be there with family. She will not be in a work capacity. I will be in the work capacity, but yes. I'm excited to see this team, and I'm excited to see them again. Seen them a couple times this year. I'm excited to see them against Arkansas State. But the LSU game, whew, it's going to be a good one too. Our guy, Matt Miguez, will be there for us covering for the station in Baton Rouge on Saturday. We got to take a timeout. Ralph. Hope you're appreciative. <laughs> Hope that made your breakfast a little bit better, buddy. <laughs> we got to take a time out. We'll wrap up hour number two. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know, before I'm going to be heading out to Cajun Field Saturday to cover the Arkansas State UL football game, I'm going to be over in Jennings. You want to know why? Because your boy and the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is going to be at Heritage Housing, located at 3350 North Frontage Road there in Jennings. I'm going to be there from 11 until 1 o'clock. You can swing by and register to spin the prize wheel. Oh, you haven't had the chance to do it yet. You didn't weren't able to come to the birthday party. Maybe you haven't come to some of our ticket giveaways in the last month. Well, here's your chance. Swing by, come hang out with me, spin the wheel, and you'll get a chance to score a pair of McNeese football tickets. We have a couple games to give away and more prizes. So make sure this Saturday you swing by Heritage Housing in Jennings. Come see your boy, RP3, 
and spin the prize wheel so you can score free McNeese football tickets and so much more. It's going to be a good time. going to be in Jennings around lunchtime, meeting with people, giving away stuff, and then I'll be heading to the UL football game. It's a pretty good Saturday, not going to lie. Whoa! (laughs) Thankfully... The cameras for the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 LUS Fiber were not turned on Hannah Five names because when I started talking about the UL football game, she started spazzing like she was having a convulsion or some type of seizure. No, she's okay medically. No need for the EMTs to come. She was just excited about the Raging Cajun game. Yes, I get to see my mom and my Grammy and my Poppy and my siblings. I'm excited. Aww. Sweet. I get to bed with my grandma too, so that's fun too. There we go. There we go. <laughs> we may have better line yet, so that's right. You and you and Grams have a bet because she's an Arkansas State alum. Yes. So you guys are gonna have a little wager on Saturday's game. Yes, we have for the past four years. Well, that means you've been making money the last four years. Yeah, I only lost once because we finally put a like a line on uh the game last year where we had a six point coverage. We didn't cover that, so I lost last year, but I lost. I won the last three years before that, so. It's time to get back on track. Let's go. You can get three points. <laughs> three, <laughs> not six. That's going to do it for our number two as we found out the inner workings of Five Names' family betting on sporting events against your grandma is something that happens, and I'm here for it. Our number three, oh, man, we're going to close it out strong. Ali Cassell from the Bird Rights will be joining us in about half an hour from right now to preview the Pelicans season opener, but we'll kick it off with Jim Gazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press, also the host of the McNeese Coaches Show. He's going to kick off talking all things Cowboys. That's next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, there's dancing inside the game studios on this Tuesday morning. Maybe it's the brisk weather outside. Maybe it's the fact that Hannah revealed to all of us that she likes to take money from her grandma, that they bet against each other because grandma's an Arkansas State grad and Hannah's a UL grad. So Hannah's been taking money from poor grandma's purse, like just stealing money. Like the only thing left in your 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 grandma's purse is a butterscotch candies and a button and some change. No, she doesn't have those kind of things in her purse. She may have like a wine glass in that purse. She may have a wine glass in this yeah, purse. She might. But I was saying, you know, she started this. She's the one that came to me because she had given me more money so I could graduate without any loans for college, and so I was paying her back for it because it didn't come out of my college fund that they made for me and so when doing that she was like well 
if you win the game, I'll take $100 off of your loan you have. And if I win, you pay the extra $100. So that, she started it. <laughs> that, that, that's fine. You, you buried the lead. <laughs> Grandma may have a wine glass in the purse. Is That would be that's the thing she would have. only thing we should be focusing in on. If she were to have something in her purse, it would not be butterscotch candies. So what you're telling me is that Grandma likes to party. Grandma likes to have a good time. Yes. All right, I can respect that's that. Why I love her. Well, why wouldn't Ooh, you? Woo. Why wouldn't you? She likes to have a good time, and you. she gives you money because she makes bad bets with you about football games so why wouldn't you love grandma don't worry we'll come to the press box and you can meet my grandma all right and my mom and everybody else there we go you know who i met in the press box in lake charles who jim gazzolo who joins us now he's the man who's the host of poke nation on tv he's the host of the meet coaches show on radio he covers the cowboys for the lake charles american press he's our good friend he joins us now good morning bud how are you that just means I've seen a lot of bad football. <laughs> Question number one. Did your grandma walk around with a wine glass possibly in her purse like Hannah's grandma? <laughs> no, no. I didn't, I didn't even see a shot glass. Although we did have the little mints with lint on them, but that was about it. There we go. There we go. I mean, they're wilding out in, in, in Hannah's family. They just, they, whew, I can't wait to go to that yeah. wedding. It's going to be. Well, how big is the purse? <laughs> how big is the how purse? How big is the wine glass and how big is the purse? That's what I want to know. I mean, I'm not 100% sure she has, has a wine glass in her purse. I'm just thinking that if she would have them in her purse, it would probably be like a wine glass. And somehow she would find the contraption that like folds down to where it's like small and you just like make it. Question. Well, what is, what is, what is she just dig it out and say, let's <laughs> go, it's time? I mean, what? Question. It's 5 o'clock, it's a... It's a the purse opens up and the glass comes out? What, I mean, she on? deals with my poppy, so, I mean, a wine glass on the go is probably perfect for her. I still oh. have a question. I still have a question. <laughs> yes. yes, yes, there we go. There we go. Thank you. If Jim and I come to your wedding and we bring box oh, wine to, uh-huh. to the wedding reception, will your grandma partake in some box wine with us? I think so. There we Both go. of mine would. There we go. I say both, like I have only two, I have like nine. But, yeah. All right. Those are our plans. Jim, are you okay, or are you being attacked by wild animals there at your house? We're good now. (laughs) A little little confrontation. (laughs) Nothing nothing major. Nothing major as he bleeds from his leg. I've told you that we have have, my daughter is still out of her house from the hurricane, so we we have some guest dogs that sometimes bump into each other and get mad at each other but that's changing she'll be at her house in a month so we're good <laughs> and someone's counting down the days all right bud let's get yes. back <laughs> let's get back to mcneese they hung tough for a half you and i were there and they it, it appeared to me that they had made some adjustments in the bye week that they worked on some things i thought knox Kadem looked better in the first half and they hung tough, and they actually held a lead for a little while. And at halftime, they were only down by two. But then the second half happened, and it was all A&M Commerce. They dominated the second half. Uh, what do you make of what you saw there from McNeese, where they looked pretty good in the first half and then looked anything but in the second? Well, it, it, we've seen it the last two games. In the fourth quarters, they've been outscored 40-7. to seven. 
and two games that were, eh, it would have been an upset, but winnable, where they're within one possession, get out of hand. And what happens to them is I think they have enough ability and enough coaching to hang with people. And, and they can manipulate a game enough to hang with people. But when it comes to winning the game, they get out of sync and they have to start doing things they can't do. And that's when the turnovers come and boom. I, what I'm getting is, and we, talk, we talked a lot with uh, Coach Goff yesterday about it, that, that the, the fact that they're down, not so much that they're down so many guys, but they're playing so many freshmen now that they're just getting beat up by the, especially these two teams that had senior-oriented and COVID senior-oriented kids that are five years older. Yeah, and they're playing. They're also not only is youth playing a role. I feel Jim is also that they're playing teams that have been together for three, four years, right? Yeah. So that team yeah. chemistry, understanding what your weaknesses are, what your strengths are, being able to game plan around that, I think plays a huge role in this. And Gary Golf and his staff haven't, and they have more than fifty new players on this team that weren't here last year. So yeah, that's that's a part of it as well, right? And 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 it just is. Kadem, I thought played better in stretches, but then he also made some bad throws. Like that that touchdown yeah, that he that, threw to to Matthews was right on the money. Like Matthews comes a, a, yeah. across the back of the end zone, they th- he throws it to a spot, and Josh just gets there perfectly at the spot, and he made a couple other throws like that, and I was like, oh wow, you could tell. Golf and his staff really had worked with Knox to improve in the bye week. And then in the second half, I don't know if he was pressing. I don't know if he, he was getting flustered and, and and started rushing and not going through his progressions. But you, you started seeing him, you know, kind of just be off, so to speak. And it doesn't feel like it takes a lot to get him off. I don't I don't say that as a negative. It just feels like if a couple of things go wrong. For the offense, it throws knocks off completely. Well, we talked. I talked to some of the players. Uh, Mason Kinsley admitted it. Uh, Goff admitted it that there still is this when things start to go bad, the woe is us mentality of what's next. And they're really fighting that. And they both mentioned that they fight that, that there's that some of it. They talk about it, they try to work through it, but there still is this. When things start to go wrong, we're getting piled on again. Look at all we've been through. And that I don't, that's going to last until these seniors are out the door. It's going to take well, at least a couple years for golf to establish yeah. things there. Now, that being said, we know the limitations. We know what they're dealing with. We know the challenges that they face. After seeing them come out of the bye week now, and you've seen them play two conference games, a bit, uh, and now uh, uh, it was against two of the better teams in the conference, and we know that the Southland is down this year. A lot of the good teams are not very good. Does this change your perception of how you think this team is going to finish the season? Because we talked about, hey, if they could get to four wins, that's a success. That's a good foundation year after seeing them on Saturday. Does your perception of if they can get to four wins, has that changed? No, four wins would be good. <laughs> I, four, four wins would be outstanding because it would be they'd won three of their last five. 
Um, I, I it's hard to say because the conference. Every time I look up, the conference is getting beat up, and I didn't think Nichols was be would be as bad as it is. So that becomes a game that I would have checked off and said no way early in the year. Now it's eh, maybe they're both one and five. Um, but then people at Nichols are going to say, hey, wait a minute, McNeese is one and five. This is winnable. So I, it, it depends on what they bring. But it's really what can their freshmen – they're playing a lot of freshmen now, true freshmen. Before they were just sprinkling them in. Now they're playing. Now they're starting. Some are going to start this week. And how do they react? Do they get overmatched? Uh, do the moments become too big? And as for the quarterback, we, we see a, a, a passing game that's just not connecting. Some of it is quarterback. Some of it is route running. But really, they just look like a, a fractured team as far as a group of guys that come together. And at times look like they're just playing in the park. They just said there's not that rhythm and continuity quarter to quarter. Um, and when they get behind the chains, when things start to go bad, they try to do too much. And that's when we see the turnovers. That's when we see the interceptions. That's when we see the, the defensive back stumble. And the next thing you know, it's a 70-yard touchdown pass. Things just snowball on them, and they cannot stop it. We're talking with Jim Gazzolo. He's the host of the Meet East Coaches show. You can listen to that every Wednesday night right here on the game. This week's edition going to be a little bit earlier because of Astros baseball for the ALCS so we'll have the McNeese coaches show on tomorrow night starting at 5 30 it'll run from 5 30 to 6 30 5 30 to 6 30 a full hour is, that, is the Astros game still being played tomorrow night it surely is that is so rude of baseball <laughs> so rude of baseball oh listen to you so rude of baseball um yes the, the, their postseason format not not exactly uh, optimal this year. Let's look at the the rest of the season though, and and a part of me feels like when it comes to this program, it would be best served not to think of it as wins and losses. Like I, like I feel like we're getting to the point, Jim, where it, you know there's going to be no FCF playoffs, no conference championship. You're not even going to have a winning record here. Do the wins even matter, or is it more of just using this time almost like preseason, almost like training camp, if you will, but it's in real time. I, I just feel like that may benefit the program more so long-term than trying to piece together a couple wins here because I just – I don't know if thinking in terms of wins and losses really benefits what Gary's trying to establish. No, I, I thought all year long it was going to be great on a curve. How do they play at the end compared to the beginning? Um, now I'm more of – I, I agree with you on a training camp setting. Um, we're, we're seeing the roster and we're seeing the scout team kind of flip names. We're seeing yeah. some of the younger people play more. Uh, we're seeing, but I, I don't think he wants to get away from it just say, I'm going to bench all the seniors because there's no future because he wants to reward them for staying. But I think we're going to see more sprinkled in. We're going to see more of it. You know, we saw Dill and Simon change positions. He got a couple of targets even the other night. Um, talked to him yesterday. He's excited about being a receiver now. I think you'll see some more of that. I think you'll see the guys that are going to be here and that he likes the younger guys 
play more. And the people that aren't going to be here because we have a transfer portal world, um, not play as much. I think that will kind of determine. I think we'll see more of Josh Parker. I think we'll see more of Simon. I think we'll see more of those types of guys, especially the secondary, because he's got to see what he has when he goes out recruiting. Let's talk about Saturday's game, making the trip to Plus, lovely home Plus of Thibodeau. Which, 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 which Plus I, week. I'm sorry? Must we talk about Saturday's game? Yes, we must, bud. <laughs> it's 2-10. and 2-10 and ten in a lovely town, home slash Thibodeau, home of the Colonels, a press box that is state-of-the-art. I say that facetiously. I, <laughs> You're not much of an artist if it's state-of-the-art. <laughs> this matchup. Look, Nichols has been the better team the last decade because Tim Rebo's arrival, and he's turned that around. Now, they had a somewhat down year last year, and that's continued this year. They've been a big surprise, a disappointing team. But it's still a road trip down to Nichols, which is not an easy place to play. What do you think of this matchup, and what do you think are some of the challenges that it presents, McNeese? Uh, a, a lot of – a lot of – I don't, a lot of questions just all over the place on what happened to Nichols. Um, some people had him picked to win the conference. I don't know who those people would be. Uh, so I don't know what's really left of Nichols because I, I thought they were going to be really good. Um, I, I think this game comes down to how well people are motivated for the rest of the year. For McNeese, the kids are talking because there were no expectations. How does Nichols handle the fact that there were so much expectations and now it's all gone? It's kind of my kind of big question mark for them because, you know, the, the McNeese kids are like, we didn't, we were going to the playoffs anyways when the season started. We're rebuilding. They bought into that. What is Nichols' motivation for this game? Because they, they were talked about as a playoff team, talked about as a top 25 team. How do they handle their adversity right now? I think we'll determine what kind of game it is. Would you care to give your prediction? I know it's early in the week. Uh, I, I think Mr. T and Rocky Three had a best pain. <laughs> Predicted pain. Um, I <laughs> don't. I've looked at it up and down. I think McNeese actually has a chance because of like scores. They've actually played better against Incarnate Word and some other teams for periods of time. So if they, if they can finish, which is the whole point of now finishing the season, finishing the year, that's their new theme. Uh, I think this is a game they can win when a, a month ago I would have said no way. So I, I, let's go 23-20. Thank you for your time, Jim, and thank you for taking part in a conversation that included grandmas with wine in their purse, uh, drinking box wine at a wedding, dog fighting and a Rocky three reference sprinkled in with talk about my niece. What more could you bring in the morning? What more could you bring in the morning? You'll get that type of insight on the Minis coaches show tomorrow night, starting live at five 30 for Maplewood burgers. there on Nelson road in Lake Charles, the chili Chuck, <laughs> the, chi- the chili Chuck this morning, the chili Chuck, Jim. <laughs> well, appreciate your time, brother. <laughs> All right. See ya. <laughs> oh.
I mean, my man had dogs that were just just they, they, the dogs wanted to be part of the show. Obviously, they saw an opportunity. They're like, hey, hey, we can be on the radio. Let's make that happen. It's going to be like Ollie's dog. Oh, we got another dog person coming up, too. We'll see if Ollie's dog inserts himself into the Zoom, which is always, always fun. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll update the poll question of the day, and we'll share some uh, some thoughts on what Dennis Allen had to say yesterday about them working. Uh, we're going to work at it. Well, we need to get better. Now, that'll be next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the best local sports talk in Southwest Louisiana. The New Orleans Saints are going to be taking on the Arizona Cardinals this Thursday night on Thursday Night Football. Of course, you can listen to the game kickoff at 7.15 right here on the game. But check it out. The game is also going to get you ready for that primetime matchup. feels like a must-win for the Saints. Because Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh will be broadcasting live from Twin Peaks on Johnston from 4 to 6 o'clock. So come hang out with the fellas, both Miguez and Mesh. That's right, Matthew and the Donut will be there. Enjoy the ice-cold beverages and the tasty burgers and the great appetizers this Thursday night as the Saints take on the Cardinals. Miguez and Mesh Crunch Time will be broadcasting live from Twin Peaks to get you geared up for that game. And remember, Twin Peaks eats, drinks, scenic views. Speaking of the black and gold who found a way to inexplicably lose to the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday, Dennis Allen spoke with the media yesterday. We've kind of heard the same old, same old from DA, haven't we? Got to get refocused. Got to coach better. Got to do things better. We'll look at it. Blah, 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 blah. Seasons quickly quickly getting away from him and he's gotta he's gotta he's gotta get it together now quarterback is an issue for this team Jameis Winston still banged up injured we find we, we found out that Andy Dalton suffered some sort of back injury in Sunday's game do you go with Taysom Hill do you throw Jameis out there who's maybe still not fully recovered Got the quick turnaround. The game is in two days. This is what D.A. had to say about he and his staff's approach for the quarterback position at this point. I think that, yeah, I think, look, I think the number one thing is, is that we're, we're let's, let's get Jameis where he's 100% healthy. Um, uh, look, he was healthy enough to be the emergency third quarterback in this game last week. Um, and part of that was, you know, manipulating the roster to get 48 guys, you know, up on game day. So, um, look, Andy's done a good job when he's when he's when he's been in there. Um, we've produced and scored some points. So, um, let's get let's get Jameis fully healthy, and then we'll go from there. I guess that means Taysom Hill would have been a backup if needed. Correct in that in that game. So there's the clarification that we've been waiting for. So we didn't find this out beforehand. So 
because Jameis was dressed, we all thought he would be the number two quarterback. In fact, Dennis Allen tells us that Taysom Hill would have been the emergency quarterback. Jameis would have been your emergency third quarterback, which is interesting. What happens for Thursday night? I have no idea. Absolutely have no idea. What I do know is that this is forcing Dennis Allen and his staff to game plan a little bit earlier, and that kind of throws off the routine, their weekly routine, if you will. Yeah, typically, yeah, typically, um, you know, a lot of the assistant coaches will will begin, um, you know, working on some of the game plan um, prior to. Usually, the coordinators uh, don't really get into that game plan until it gets to the week. So, what's their focus? Because because here it is. As bad as they've played, as bad as they've played, and they're two and four, they're only a game out of the division. Because here's the deal about the NFC. Let me give you a little bit of a refresher course on this because I saw this earlier and I got to share it with all of you. Here's the deal. Even though they're two and four, even though they've looked awful, even though they look like one of the more poorly coached teams in the league, they're only a game out of the NFC South because between the NFC West, NFC North, and NFC South, three of the four divisions in the NFC, there's a grand total of, wait for it, one team with a winning record. One. Three divisions, and there's only one team with a winning record. Now, the NFC East has three of those teams, but the other three divisions have one. So the NFC is still wide open. The division is still wide open. If the Saints could just get their act together, they have a chance to get back into this thing, and they can do so Thursday night. So what is the focus for Dennis Allen and his team heading into this Thursday night matchup with the Cardinals. Look, we got a short week to try to get ready for Arizona. So um, really that's where the focus is right now. There's some things that we got to correct. I think I pretty much covered everything from the game last night. Uh, but now we got to look, we got a short week to get ready to, to travel to Arizona. So that's where the focus is. He's a little bland. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to be mean. He's just. He doesn't give really good detailed answers. It's not even like good coach speak. It's just snooze fest. <laughs> Let's hope his team isn't snoozing Thursday night because they need to win in a, in a bad way. Once again, three of the four divisions in the NFC combined have one team with a winning record. So division title, still in play. Playoffs, still in play. They just got to figure it out. They got to figure it out. We got to take a timeout. When we return, New Orleans Pelicans open up the season Wednesday night in Brooklyn. We'll get a preview about the season and that matchup and the expectations for Zion Williamson with our guy Ali Cassell from the Bird Rights. He joins us next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Pierre the Pelican and the King Cake Baby consider him a close personal friend. And we're the three.
three best friends that anybody could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. Or at least a Facebook friend or MySpace friend. Is MySpace still a thing? I wonder what Tom is up to these days. He's desperate. He'd sleep with a meat grinder. Time for some more friendly Pelicans talk on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. NBA season tips off. Woo, lots of storylines to get to. How long before the Brooklyn Nets fully implode? I say 20 games. <laughs> just say, just say. How about the Lakers? Are they going to make it work with their current roster configuration? And what about the New Orleans Pelicans? Zion Williamson says he's going to play. Is that true? And how good can this team really be? with the young core that they have put together under head coach Willie Green. To share his thoughts on all those topics and so much more is our good friend, the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, Ali Cassell joins us now. Ali, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Good morning, Raymond. Looking forward to another season, as I'm sure you and everybody else listening are as well. You know what? I, I am. And after feeling... I don't know. I'm trying to feel, trying to find the word that's not so aggressive, Ollie, but feeling disappointed by preseason hype the last few years concerning this team. There's hype around this team this year, but it feels different. And that, that makes me excited. It just does because it feels like this team is legitimately going to be a good team and a good playoff team. And that's not, you know, a hype guy telling us that it just kind of feels that way. That's why I think it feels a little bit different. What about you? Yeah, I think there's substance this time around. I mean, just look at multiple number of factors. Last season, they ended up on a high going 33 and 30 in the regular season, won both playing tournament games, and of course gave the Suns a run for their money in those uh in that first round series. And they didn't do they did all that basically without Zion Williamson. So you yeah. look at the roster, right? CJ, Larry Nance, they only played 20 or so games, didn't know a single play. And then you look at all the young guys. They've all, you know, I think they've all improved. And you can kind of see their improvement just from practices and of course in the preseason games, but I think we'll see it in the upcoming regular season. So you saw what they did last year without all these certain elements, and now it's all coming together with this fantastic chemistry. I've got to mention that because I don't think enough people are giving credence to the fact that this 15-man team, they are as tight as any team I've ever seen, whether in this city or a lot, you know, across the rest of the league. I mean, it's so rare to see, Raymond, where these guys literally just want to uh, do stuff together off the court, right? Going to dinner, going, playing video games, you name it. They're always together and they love each other like brothers. So I think that helps ignite that talent on the court, which we're going to see this year. How much of a difference, when you talk about that team chemistry, does having a guy like Willie Green as the head coach, it feels like that is the biggest move and the most significant move David Griffin has made as the man in charge of the Pelicans since he's been here. That's the most important move. You're right. Because, look, after that start, I don't know how this team can go sideways, right? You you win one game in, in your first three weeks or whatever it was. 
And we've seen it happen in the past. And, you know, it's just human nature to kind of tune out, go your separate ways, you know, start focusing on other things in life that make you happy. Right. Being on the basketball court wasn't making these players happy. But yet Willie Green somehow kept them together. And you could see it after these post-game conferences where the guys are, they still stayed in it, right? And and I've never seen that before because we've seen a lot of losing seasons. And, you know, like I said, I saw guys just kind of start drifting away from the team concept, trying to do something special. Willie Green's the glue that held it together last year. So he earned, you know, his stripes in his first month of being a, a new NBA head coach. And so that's going to carry a lot of weight in that locker room moving forward. And it has. So I'm at a loss for words, honestly, because I don't think anybody expected Willie Green to do and have an as big of a positive effect as he did. But fortunately, he did. And now the Pelicans are reaping the rewards. And I think it's just going to get better and better. The thing that stands out to me, and, and, and look, we could dive into X's and O's and how he deals with in-game adjustments, which I think he got better as the season progressed because he is a first-time head coach. The, the thing that stood out to me about him was that even when they were losing and, and they looked bad, he didn't lose the team, right, Ollie? And I yeah. think that trust that he built up now, maybe that's because he's a younger coach. Maybe that's because he was a former player in the league that had to grind it out. He earned his guys' trust early and kept it, and more importantly, kept it and built upon it after they made the trade for C.J. McCollum. Like, it only increased because he got paired up with a veteran guy that respects the heck out of him, and that made a huge impact as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Brandon Ingram talked about on Media Day where he didn't agree with all of Willie Green's uh, early season approaches, right, because the team was losing. But yet because Willie held steadfast in his beliefs and his, um, you know, principles and teaching these guys and just maintaining a level head about everything, it kind of got everybody through it, including guys like I said, Brandon Ingram, who's been in the season. You know, he, he's in the NBA now for what, going on his sixth year, seventh year, I believe. And yet he was impressed by it. So, yeah, what Willie Green did to keep that locker room together is just outstanding. And you're right. Then, then of course, it was everything that came along with it. I mean, early on, we've got to mention he gave players that had never before had, you know, good roles or roles that fit them, like Josh Hart. Um, he saw it in them and then gave it to them, right? And that's why, you know, for instance, Josh Hart enjoyed his best year up until he got traded to Portland. And that's why when C.J. McCollum came over, it kind of felt like a seamless transition, it right? It did. I, mean, I know that he, um, along with Brandon Ingram and C.J., went out to dinner very first night. So it's these type of things that Willie just knows how to do and, and maintain relationships that is honestly, you know, it's easy to talk about, seems simplistic looking in hindsight, but so few coaches do it. And fortunately, Willie Green knows how to do all these things. And I think that's why these young guys have suddenly come together, I think, quick, a lot quicker than any of us thought, and become a real team out there because of Willie's guidance. We saw this team, and uh, it's basically the same team from last year, make that run at the end of the season, come together, play exceptionally well, play great in the playoffs. Now they have to fold in Zion. And I think Zion's an unselfish player. So I think... That's one hurdle you don't really have to worry about, right, when it comes to, to folding him into what you're wanting to do. But we do expect some growing pains here of having him molded and melded back into what they are doing, right? I mean, we should expect some games where it looks a little clunky early on within maybe the first 15 to 20 games of the season, 
and then it should start kind of gaining some momentum and start really looking really well, right? Right. So Zion never played with the group last year at all. And this uh, preseason, it was limited, right? There was a few scrimmages um, basically here and there, but usually there was one guy out, right? Brandon Ingram didn't play until his final preseason game. Zion yeah. missed a couple of games. So what you were hoping to get, that on-the-court chemistry that CJ said, that's the biggest priority for them at the start of training camp to figure out. I don't think they got a good opportunity at it, right? So it's going to unfortunately be, you know, they're going to have to learn as the regular season progresses, right, kicking off tomorrow. So that's a bit of a concern because what I mean by that is, look, you know that this team can score, but it's, it's you know, knowing who's going to do it, when to do it, and how to do it. And that's something you need to figure out by playing together. So CJ, uh, Brandon Ingram, Zion, they've talked about it. Like, who's going to be aggressive to start off a game? Who should have the ball in what spots on the floor? See, those are the type of things I don't think they got a chance to really iron out in preseason. So that could be a concern. And also, I think defensively. Right. In Zion's place last year, Willie Green usually liked to opt for a guy that was, you know, more defensive minded, right? Like a Jackson Hayes. So I'm curious, how good is this defense going to be, especially to start the season, right? With having Zion, who's honestly more offensively minded. And we, we haven't seen that Duke defense, Zion. So I'm a little bit worried about the team defense as well. But like I said, I think this team's so talented, right, Raymond? They can score, they, they ooze points out of their pores of their body. So they'll be fine for the most part, and especially with this determination, this grit, especially those young guys have, and off the bench, that's going to propel them to a lot of victories. But I think it's going to be a lot of tight games to begin, and don't be surprised if they're, say, like 520 games in or something like that. We're talking with Ali Cassell. He's the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Let's talk a little bit about the starting lineup and the rotation. How's that going to be set, at least early in the season? Well, I think everybody knows the starting lineup, right? I mean... C.J. McCollum is going to be your point guard. Herb Jones, Brandon Ingram on the wings. Then down low, Zion Williamson, Jonas Valanciunas. Offensively, I have no concerns. Even Jonas, in the last preseason game, even though there was no Zion, he looked like a perfect offensive hub, right? He had seven assists in 21 minutes. He did. So I'm not worried about these guys clicking offensively. But it's going to be finding the right combinations for defense. But fortunately, Willie's got, you know, basically the first four guys off his bench can really play and play well defensively. Jose Alvarado, don't have to introduce him to anybody. But also Larry Nance, very good. Trey Murphy, improved a lot. I think we're going to be surprised by his defense. And, of course, Najee Marshall. I'm not discounting Najee this year because Pelicans want to play fast. And that's one thing that Najee does well is, is getting that open court. Because not only is he a good defender, but sometimes scoring for him can be an issue. But if you're running a lot, Najee's your guy, kind of right. He, he's a perfect chaos type of guy out there. So until Jackson get back, gets back, I'm expecting a lot of minutes, like I said, for Najee, with Devontae Graham probably being your 10th man. Is Zion going to play tomorrow night? Yeah, I know it's a running joke, right? Going back to last year and his commitment to being ready for the first game. But look. We've seen him in preseason games. He's been excelling in uh, uh, off-season workouts, but especially here in preseason, he's ready. Yeah, he's going to play. There, there's, it's, it's fun to joke around, but honestly, he's there. He's going to play. There's no issues with that foot, thank goodness. And and the leg that he, or that ankle that he sprained was on the other side, in case people are still wondering about why he didn't play the last couple preseason games. Home opener, which is going to be Sunday, correct? there at the Smoothie King Center, is sold out. What do you make of the reaction from 
the local basketball fans in a city that's really kind of underrated as a hoop city. You and I have talked about that before. What do you make of the reaction of fans actually spending their money and selling out the Smoothie King Center for the home opener? I love it. I'm a little surprised, but not that much. If you think back to last year, for some reason, this roster was able to reach the fans even when they were still losing, right? When they still looked well out of even making a play-in tournament. Fans started gravitating towards this team, and particularly certain members like Herb Jones, like Jose Alvarado. Brandon Ingram became a quick fan favorite, too, uh, becoming the leader of this team. And then suddenly this team started winning. And I've never seen such a presence by fans of New Orleans uh, as I did last year. And it started showing up in games. They started coming out to where by the end of the season, they're selling out. I won't forget those two games against the Lakers late in the season, the, the play-in game against the Spurs, and, of course, the playoffs. I think that atmosphere is going to carry over. And as you mentioned, we're, we're going to see it. Because, look, Birmingham, last preseason game, they sold out. Now the Jazz, opener against the Jazz, who are predicted to probably have the worst record in the league, Pelicans sold out for that game. So it's still football season. Saints are still playing. But guess what? The Pels, Smoothie King, Pack Sunday, says a lot. I think this city is going to support this team like we've never really seen before. Ollie, I think your pup is excited about the home opener as well. She heard me talking about it, didn't she? <laughs> I love that. I love that, by the way. Quickly, I'll get you out of here with a non-Pelicans question. Who do you think is going to implode sooner, the Lakers or the Nets? Easily for me, the Lakers. They're, look, I don't. people are trying to cover up the fact that Russell Westbrook wasn't in their huddles during their last preseason game, but – Come on, that's a terrible look going on top of everything else that that team's gone through. Anthony Davis has already missed a handful of preseason games. And the rest of that talent on that roster besides LeBron James, I don't like it. So I think they're going to implode real quickly. And that's going to be good news for us here in New Orleans, considering we can swap first-round picks this season. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah, and I, I, I have a feeling it just feels like things are going to go sideways for them and that they're going to trade Russ during the season. I, I feel like that's going to happen for them, that LeBron's going to be like, okay, this isn't working. we got to get rid of Russ and try to do something in the second half because he's not going to accept being mediocre for another year in L.A. because he's had, yeah, he won a title, but it's also been bookended by some terrible seasons. He's one of the greats of all time, and he, so he should um pressure the organization whoever needs to be pressured in order to produce a good quality team and so far rob palinka has not done that and so mm. i'm shocked that he got an extension this summer but he's going to be feeling the pressure so without a doubt those two lakers picks that they still have right in 2027 29 they're going to be traded with somebody likely russ to bring help because otherwise this roster they're not winning more than 30 35 games i think ollie appreciate your time Glad to have you back on Tuesday mornings, brother. We'll do this throughout the rest of the season, my friend. Thank you so much. It was good talking to you, Raymond. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we'll be a lot more positive than years past, right, buddy? <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, we put in the work. We've paid our dues. It's time for it to pay off. <laughs> That's right. Right. We're going to we're gonna be sipping margaritas in a couple more weeks, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to you later, brother. Yep. Take care, Raymond. We got to take a timeout. We'll finalize the poll question of the day and get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. That's all next, right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. (laughs) 
Uh, the Sweet Dough Pie Festival is coming back and serving up a slice of history and deliciousness. Every year, pastry chefs and home cooks vie to be crowned best in the Sweet Dough Pie Contest, where the public, that's right, you, are the judge. And, of course, there's going to be a large variety of pies available for purchase. The Sweet Dough Pie Festival returns Saturday, October 29th from 9 to 3 p.m. there at Grand Coteau Town Park in Grand Coteau. For more information, call 337-331-6352 or visit the town of Grand Coteau's Facebook page. I want to thank all of our guests for making this Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company tremendous. Brett Chancy from Locked On Astros, Coach Dez with the Raging Cajuns, Jim Gozzolo, host of the McNeese Coaches Show, and Ali Cassell from the Bird Rights. We did have a poll question of the day. Does Guardians-Yankees Game 5 being delayed give the Astros an advantage for the ALCS, which begins tomorrow night? And, of course, you can listen to it live right here on the game. 69% of you say yes, 31% say no. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day and commented on it on Facebook and Twitter. We appreciate you. And that's going to do it for us. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond the Third. Until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros.